Welcome to the Revenue Cafe. The Revenue Cafe podcast is brought to you by Breadcrumbs, the revenue acceleration platform. In each episode, we will bring you interesting conversations on all things sales, marketing, and CX related. The hope is we will help you along the path to revenue acceleration and entertain you along the way. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Revenue Cafe. Uh, this week, I'm on my own. Uh, Joe Eicher is unable to join, but I am privileged enough to have Brad Cohen, CMO of Aspiritech, join me for an interesting chat. Again, on all things go to market, uh, sales, marketing, CS, the challenges of being an executive with those responsibilities. Brad, welcome to the Revenue Cafe and thanks for joining. Hi, Gary. Thanks for having me. Brad, so maybe uh, just to give the listeners some context, you can give us a, a little bit of a intro into you and into Spirit Tech and what you guys are all about. Sure, I'll start with the Spirit Tech and then sort of tell you how I got to to uh, to the place. Um, Spirit Tech was founded uh, 13 years ago by Brenda and Moshe Weitzberg, the parents of an adult son on the autism spectrum, and. Uh, their son, Oran, is a very capable young man, and um, but he was always placed into jobs that really highlighted his weaknesses, sort of one of the, the ironies of, of, of the disability world and the disability employment movement is that jobs are typically labor-intensive or you know more simple jobs don't highlight their people on the autism spectrum's strengths, they highlight their weaknesses. So for example, in Iran's case, very intelligent, very capable young man, very techie. So bagging groceries is just a lousy fit, you know, social interactions, taking uh, direction from a a person um, are really not, you know, definitely not his forte. So they theorized after reading about a company in, in Denmark that was training autistic adults to test software. Um, they thought they'd give it a go. Um, the reason that there's a per, it's a perfect fit is autism presents typically with people to people that have a very high degree of focus, attention to detail, and the ability to do a repetitive task without loss of concentration. Well, that like defines QA testing. So the match was perfect, and after a really slow start and you know painful uh, beginnings. Um, companies started to embrace our mission and give us a try. And one in particular that really launched us was the Bose, the headphone company. And uh, it started with a conversation just like the one we're having. And uh, today it employs about 70 people full-time at Aspiritech. It's about half, two-thirds of our staff working just on Bose headphones. And the, the fun part is after companies understand what we do, they, they, they then understand the value play for them. So usually the foot in the door tends to be what, we, what I call the do good um, introduction. But in the case of Bose, you know, they, they, they pay us a lot of money to, to do what we do, and they find value in that. And, and for them, it's, it's simple metrics. It's maybe there's less headphone returns. Maybe there's fewer calls to the call center. Maybe when you get a pair of Bose headphones, they connect right away to your iPhone that you didn't update, and you have an old version of Spotify. Those are things that we test for, and uh, so that that level of of, um, of accuracy and quality is really important to them. Uh, and so we launched, and that was about five or six years ago. It's really starting to grow and scale and scale. And now we work for three global banks and 
couple of insurance companies, four or five large pharmaceutical, global pharmaceuticals, uh, down to two-man startups. I joined the firm three years ago after being 10 years on the board. Um, I was at Moshe and Brenda's kitchen table when they were thinking about this, as crazy an idea as it, as it seemed at the time. Um, what I really liked about it was it's an employment model. So it's not, it's, you know, it's sort of a teach a man to fish model. Right. And, um, and about uh, a few years ago, what I really tried to do was as a board member was change our revenue stream from donations, which were at, you know, in the beginning, half, two thirds of our revenue. And, you know, I don't like raising money. I'm really lousy at it. You know, right. I, was, I was a commodity trader for 30 years. So when, when Moshe asked me to join the board, it was like, well, you have to, have to sell raffle tickets and come to our gale and all that kind of stuff. And we still do that. But what if we shift to a revenue model that's based on clients? And if we can provide value and quality to clients, um, eventually something good's going to happen. And that's sort of where we are today. Right. So, so just to sum that up for the listeners, really – what you guys do is QA testing, primarily software uh, for private industry. And you just happen to have a unique hiring strategy, which is, you know, uh, folks on the spectrum. Yeah, so we only hire people on the spectrum. So 90% of our staff, so mm -hmm. other than senior management, uh, so the support staff, which are autism specialists and job, some, some of the job coaches are on mm -hmm. the, uh, are, are on the job, on the autism spectrum. Most of them are not. So 90% mm -hmm. of our staff is autistic. What's been really fun for me to see over the last two or three years is we started promoting some of that autistic staff to, first to QA leads, which is a project manager essentially mm -hmm. that has client contact. You know, they're back and forth on Slack and emails with the client all day. Sure. And that's gone really well. It's gone well enough that our two QA managers, which are people that manage multiple projects and each of them manage 50, 60 people, something like that, they're on the spectrum. And that's been really neat to see that, you know, typically in, in, in disability hiring, they are, you know, lower level tasks. Um, so having, you know, our firm, you know, with, 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 with more senior managers that are mm. on the spectrum, I hate to use the word disabled because, um, you know, they're, they're, they're some of the smartest guys in our, in our, some of the smartest people at our firm. Um, yeah. having them in the management positions is a really, is a really big feather in our cap. Yeah. One of, one of the terms I've heard used and I, I, I like it. I don't know if it's accepted, but it differently abled, um, is what I hear being used in a lot of circles now. Um, cause it's not necessarily a, a disability. It's just a different ability. Is there a, is there a feeling on that term in the, in the community? Yeah, we definitely like that a lot better. Um, and I can just tell you from my experience from coming from a non-tech role. So you know, I, was, mm -hmm. I was a trader, so I knew nothing about software development or anything like that. Um, you know, first of all, the raw intelligence, the ability to focus, the ability to see things that others don't and find those real edge cases is really quite extraordinary. And that's why we have grown from, you know, Motion Brenda's kitchen table into a 130 person firm, really with a very small client base. So we haven't, our, our goal isn't to have, you know, hey, we got this project and, you know, it's X number of hours, we'll bang it out and then, you know, see you later. We really try to grow within companies. So we right. can target larger companies because there's more room to grow. But, uh, I mean, most of the large companies that we work for, and these are Fortune 100 companies, will have multiple engagements with multiple client groups within them. 
Right. And Brad, one of the reasons I was really excited to have a chat with you is because um, although Spirit Tech is like a purpose-driven organization, it has a social aspect to it, social benefit, social cause aspect to it. It's still a business, right? And the goal is to grow a profitable business that can uh, help with that social mandate. Um, So I'd love to dig into that. But before we do, I'd love to understand kind of why you were drawn to the organization in the first place. Do you have a personal connection to the cause? Like what, what made you want to take on this challenge? Yeah, I do. Um, Moshe, the founder, the founder with, with, along with his wife was my kid's math tutor in high school. So the guy was at our kitchen table a lot. And Moshe is a magical guy. He's brilliant. He was, he's a, PhD in chemistry and pharmaceutical chemistry and something like that. He worked at Abbott for 20 years developing drugs. And um, he has a magical way about him. He teaches people how to learn, not necessarily how to kind of get through your homework or get through your day. And, you know, he really became part of our family. And uh, a lot of good things happened to my kids because of his uh, because of his help. And so when he asked me to be on his board, because I always knew he had an autistic son, we were, you know, we were family friends. Mm-hmm. Um I love the idea because I, I volunteered for other boards, mostly educational kind of things. Um, but I love this, you know, this whole concept of, uh, of employment models. And what you mentioned earlier is, yeah, we do have a mission and we are a not-for-profit. But that's, it's very quantifiable. It's 7% of our revenue comes from donations. That's it. 93 mm-hmm. is from client revenue and checks we get in the mail. That donation piece really goes to the mission part of our work. So it helps with what we call SUO, which is stepping up and out programs. That is Monday night is coding club and Tuesday is game night and Wednesday is movie night. And, you know, on the weekends we have, you know, a bus, pizza, go to a ball game, go to a park. Uh, last Sunday we had a, you know, a big barbecue and a, pic- a picnic in the park. Mm-hmm. Those social programs are key to the, the, the employee's satisfaction with their job because it creates a social environment that is m- many times lacking in the autistic world. So it's kind of a place to, to call home. And I think that really translates and we can, you know, we can certainly quantify it in an incredibly low um, turnover rate. One of the things that I think our clients really appreciate is many times our QA testers are on projects longer than the, their co their, their, the people where they're working for because, you know, QA is, is, uh, is, is not a job that people tend to keep for a really long time and tech people kind of move around a lot. But, you know, we're still there and we know the product. That's where we really thrive. when We become the subject matter expert. Cool. So, you know, commodities trader background, 20, I think you said 20 years doing that. Um, and now you're, you know, a sales-driven chief marketing officer, right? So you got, you got the messaging, the positioning, the promotion stuff, and you're on the phone with, you know, current customers and potential customers trying to win them or trying to expand. Tell me about that transition. Like that must have been um, a learning curve. Yeah. I mean, I have sort of two learning curves. One is uh, the technical aspect of it. So um, I've taken the ISCQB course to learn about QA testing. And I think I understood a little bit. Um, uh, you know, I'm an older guy. So the, the, the tech is not quite as natural to me as it is to many of our, of our younger staff members. Um, 
I knew I just wanted to do this. And I was doing the business development as a board member for so long. And when I really jumped off the board and joined the company, it was really like, okay, uncle, I cannot do this and have a day job. Let me be, that's my day job. And I was at a point in my career where I was ready to, you know, sort of semi-retire and, and, um, and do something where I get a lot more satisfaction. You know, commodity trading was great. You know, I was, I was 30 years just down the street here at the Mercantile Exchange and, and I loved it. It was, it was fantastic. Um, but I was ready to do something where I could really sink my teeth into sort of solving a problem. And uh, disability employment is a huge problem. And we train people that aren't, you know, they aren't uh, previously educated in, in, in software development or anything like that. We take people that have any background. Uh, our training program is very robust pre-COVID. It was a week of, of classroom style training and then two weeks of job shadowing. And, and the whole time there's a great support system. So, you know, we're training people to, to do a job. And as long as they're good at their job, we can bill for that. And that's where, you know, sort of the full circle really makes sense to me. So I, I really, as you can tell, I really love what I do. Right. To answer your question a little more directly about how to, there's multiple paths. There's multiple sort of feet in the door. One is through, just a direct relationship with the QA manager. They have a need. Um, outsourced QA is very common. Either you hire a, a local firm, a, a U.S.-based firm, and it's very expensive, or you hire a firm overseas, and it's a lot cheaper, and, of course, the quality is, is the same. So we fit in between those two buckets. Um, so that's the direct relationship. And then the indirect relationship with a company will be through their corporate social responsibility, through the diversity inclusion programs, and most recently through what's called diverse supplier initiatives. So many big companies are saying, we want to spend X, 2 3% of our, of our spend on diverse suppliers. And those could be women-owned businesses, minority-owned businesses, uh, disabled vets, things like that. And that's fantastic because they're spending their money on things they need to buy anyways. Mm -hmm. We're a little bit of a different twist because those tend to be folks who will clean up an office or make shirts or, you know, make items using disabled people. We're mm. in technology. I mean, the ad, this, excuse me, the spend on QA is a whole lot bigger than the spend on, you know, mugs Swag. that say a bank's name on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Swag. Yeah. That's cool. Um, just to, you know, dig a little deeper, were there any kind of aspects of your previous, you know, incarnation as a commodities trader that that you feel have been you know a help to you as you take on this you know revenue focused marketing role yeah i yeah that's 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 interesting i do i think that being a commodity trader you know at least the way i always view commodity trading and, and just trading in general is there's no particular reason for the price of Apple to be up today and down tomorrow, right? Sure. It's yeah. all about emotion. It's about sort of looking at the whole spectrum of things. You know, sometimes there are fundamental reasons for things to be better or worse for, you know, whatever Apple, they don't sell as many phones or they sell more. But generally speaking, there's a lot more emotion involved. So what I try to do on my, on my sales calls is think about what, what are the pain points for this person? They may be directly tied to QA hiring programs. They may be directly tied to they're not satisfied with their current vendor. Um, they may be directly tied to a budget that they, you know, 
typically QA is given less of a budget than, than should be. Mm-hmm. So what are the pain points and find what, where we can, we can, um, we can help them with that. And I also try to think about how do we, as a firm, fulfill the needs that the company has at a higher level that also make that QA manager look good. So it's really important. Moshe is a, is a, is a really terrific guy. And he, he, he just always hounds our staff about quality, 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 quality. Because if we provide quality, good things are going to happen. And that is not always the case with, you know, um, an outsourced service like QA. Right. So, you know, you, you kind of alluded to some interesting ways that you can start conversations with potential customers because of the nature of a spirit attack, right? These in, uh, inclusion programs. And um, do you find that people or, you know, potential customers will directly or indirectly object because of the social cause that drives a spirit attack's mission? This never happened to me, but Moshe tells, has told me before that some people don't feel originally that doing this business as a not-for-profit was the right, the right way to organize. So we view our not-for-profit status as a tax status. It's a tax status. It's also the ability for us to not be focused on the bottom line, to be focused about long-term relationships. And ultimately, you know, if we make a, it's not called a profit in the not-for-profit world, it's called a surplus. If we make a surplus most of that money goes back to our employees in the form of Christmas bonuses or capital for, you know, new training or new equipment or new furniture sure. or whatever. Yeah. So some companies don't understand that as well, but now there's been such a focus on, on diversity and inclusion internally at companies. All big companies have diversity hiring practices. And originally that meant diversity meant a balance between male and female, sort of leveling that playing field. Then it sure. went to uh, ethnic backgrounds and racial backgrounds, level yeah. that playing field, which, you know, please do. Yeah. need it. And then the third iteration of that is probably, as, as I see it, is disability. How do you find people that have disability and find their abilities? In the case of us, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's the talent to test software. Yeah. And... When companies embrace that and they can fulfill their mission of trying to do good, mm-hmm. and you know, so it, it's, it's a funny thing. Some of our clients will post and put all over the place that they're using us, and some, like Bose, barely says a peep. They're a private company. They have their own you know, advertising stream, whatever. Mm-hmm. Great. Some use the, the not-for-profit and, and do-good part as, as something they want to you know, advertise and promote, and some sure. don't. You know, it's good to us either way. Right. So, you know, I, I have a background in technology and SaaS and, you know, the, a lot of those companies are focused for a very long time on, on growth, rapid growth, making that top line look great. Um, and, you know, it's all about using technology to, you know, be able to scale, find repeatable processes. It sounds like, um, you know, your world is more kind of boutique, right? Like small number of customers, you have a land and expand strategy with them. Obviously you always want more customers, but it's probably, you know, a low volume, high touch type of, of model. Are, are, are those assumptions correct? 
in terms of, of how you guys go about trying to grow the business? Yeah. In fact, I'm really focused on, you know, some of the things that I, I'm just frustrated myself over is we work for some giant companies. We work for JP Morgan, you know, and Goldman mm. Sachs and three global pharmaceutical companies. And, and I think about, well, their QA spend is got like five more zeros on it. You know, <laughs> right. how do we become a bigger part of that? And that's very challenging where, where we really find success. And I will use one of the names of the companies I can use is Estellas. It's a, a pharmaceutical company that's headquartered overseas, but they have a big presence here in the U S in Glenview, Illinois, very close to our office. And there's one person in particular, Stacy Stone, who has been a tremendous advocate for us internally. We've done lunch and learns where it's through their diversity inclusion program to talk about our hiring practices. Cause we want to, you know, we're sort of spreading the gospel here. If a company asks us best practices for hiring folks on the spectrum, we tell them everything we know and we want to support that. And, you know, they can call our staff and say, Hey, you know, we're having trouble with this. What do you look for? Things like that. We want to do that. So we get, if we get an advocate internally and they're at a level where they can have, you know, some effect and, people will listen, you know, then we're golden. And mm. finding that advocate can be very challenging because if it's just purely an arm's length relationship where it's, we have a task, do the task and that's it. Then it's really hard to, to shine on a long-term basis. Mm. So, so how do you overcome that challenge? Is it just like, you know, constantly calling into the organization, trying to deepen those relationships? Um, like what are some of the, what are some of the strategies or tactics? Uh, I'm really using LinkedIn a lot, and um, I have a person who helps me with uh, with uh, with all the advertising, all the posting, because you know there's a creative element to them that I'm super not capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, getting in front of people, and what we do is we try to we we actually use some um, strategies to to see what's working, and we focus on pharmaceuticals this month, and we're doing that. So we're posting to all kinds of people that have pharmaceutical jobs and, and or jobs at a pharmaceutical. We're focusing on two groups. Some is the people that are directly in QA, so that need our services, and some are in the corporate social responsibility, the diversity inclusion, or the diverse hiring programs. And many of these companies have a lot of people with those title with those names in the title. Sure. So at a big company, it could be a couple of hundred people. So we hope we're preaching to the choir. So I really focus on that. But ultimately, um, you know, COVID's been really hard for me. Because I want to meet people. Mm. <laughs> I want to go to conferences and, and do panel groups. And, you know, Zoom is great. And, mm. you know, these different web tools are great. But where it's challenging for what I do is I, I belong to a few you know, clubs here in Chicago. And I'll have a presentation by the, the CEO of this or the, you know, whatever, senior leadership of that. At the end of all these conferences, you can always find a way to get to the front of the line. Yeah. And when I introduce myself, I work for a not-for-profit. It's an employment, you know, pro, it's an employment hiring program. And I'm not asking for money. You get a conversation going. And I think right. that that's one thing we've been asked many times and we've looked into. Should we be a for-profit business? Should we become Adobe, a disability-owned business enterprise, or turn into a B Corp? Um, because, you know, we could scale. We could get capital, which we don't have. Mm. And I always come back to the simple back that if, if when I'm reaching my hand out to shake somebody's hand and I say, we're not for profit, 
it takes it all down a level in terms of comfort. And um, they're at least going to listen to my my one minute pitch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get like the just to just to dig in a little deeper there, right? And and there's all these different options in terms of structure. This choice to be a not for profit, I get it in terms of like you know removing barriers to conversation and and since it's a lot of like you know virtual handshakes now post covid and real handshakes uh before um getting that barrier down so you can have the conversation is a, is a great advantage but ultimately at the end of the day what what's what's the goal then right so for profit companies is return maximum value to their shareholders you know increase that top line and and you know take as much to the bottom line as possible um, with the spirit tech. Is it, you know, employ 300 people by 2022 employ a thousand people by 2025. Like what's the, what's the goal? You just, um, you just, uh, you must've seen our business plan. That's our goal. <laughs> now it, it took a pause and, and uh, COVID was very hard for us. 2020, we, we, our revenues were up 18%. So that doesn't sound hard. It was. Uh, many of our clients, we had, I don't know, three clients just poof off the face of the earth because they were in uh, travel-related businesses. So, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't developing any more software. And then we had some companies that really dumped a lot on us because we were already an outsource solution. 2021 will be likely our first down year. Now, that's from a pretty high point. So we're pretty comfortable with it. And it won't be very much. It'll be a few points. The reason is, you know, and, and, and I sound like a, like a cliche, it's the chip shortage because many of our clients are having chip shortages. And if they can't develop new products and send us, you know, a couple of dozen of the new whatever, we can't test it. Mm-hmm. So that's been challenging, particularly in March and April, we had some you know pretty significant hits to revenue. You know, we're frustrated, but we know our client is more frustrated. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. They're the ones that have, um, have bigger budget issues, you know, or more significant issues. That's going to get resolved. Our goal, we're not, we're not for profit. We do need to, we do need to make a surplus every year because every year we need more capital requirements. But our goal is one thing. It's quality employment for people on the autism spectrum. And that doesn't have a number attached to us. So our previous growth was 20 to 40% a year. Obviously, that has to level out because from, you know, from really low numbers, it's pretty easy to double. Mm. Uh, now that we're at a, at a higher level, we'd like to grow 15 to 20% per year and branch out a little bit in the spectrum of people that we can employ. So we've looked into um, opportunities that would require staff that, that don't have that level of, of technical skill that most of our staff currently have. Mm. So we're currently doing a project for the TSA. Um, and this is, this is just an, a simple arm's length transaction. It's not through their what, diversity program. Um, mm. we tag luggage. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's so much tagging out there to be done. The, the, the fortunate part is that we are on shore and many, the TSA doesn't send stuff overseas. Thank God, mm. because they do it for pennies. We don't, mm. Mm. um, but there's many other, uh, use cases for that in many government agencies. So we just started to kind of tickle the whole government contracting portion of that. And there's been some really great contractors out there that have embraced our mission and we're subs to them. Um, There's so much out there. 
Um, you know, sometimes I, my, I like make myself crazy. I'm like, God, I haven't done, I haven't really focused on that yet. And, oh, wait, I have to go over here too. So, yeah. you know, I know, I know in what you do, focus is, is, is really critical. Sometimes I find myself going off in left field. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the challenges, so like what, you know, breadcrumbs is an early stage startup. Uh, we've grown immensely in a very short period of time and, and our team is bigger, which is great. But um, I think, like most early stage startups, our biggest challenge is drowning in opportunity. I like to call it. There's so many things that we could be doing, um, but you can only do so many of them, especially do them well, that you really need to be able to focus and make decisions and prioritize. Um, you know, I think that's a challenge for pretty much anybody in life and in business, uh, but it's an acute problem at an early stage startup for sure. Um, I haven't mastered it, by the way. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a dreamer. You know, I, I, I see opportunities, you know, too much. You know, they, they haunt me. Mm. Um, we have, you know, particularly uh, Moshe and the other senior staff have, have, you know, calm me down sometimes about these other great ideas I have. You know, some mm. are super boneheaded and some are good ones. Um, we have tried to hone in on what makes a great client. And, you know, there have been clients that we, you know, we end the engagement because it's just not working because they're just not suited to what we do. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, there's too many access issues and we don't have, you know, great client contact where you can kind of get the feeling that they're doing it because someone told them to do it. Right. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't want that. We don't need that because, because where does that go? It goes nowhere. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, of, where disability employment is going in general and autism employment, one of the things that I just, I just love is when we move to a, we get a new project with a different part of a big company. And before I bring on the client for a client call with our staff that is autistic. So the leads and the job, uh, job coaches that, you know, when they start talking Turkey and what, what we actually, the requirements of the job are, you know, I preface the call and I say, listen, just so you know, um, this staff member is, is, um, speaks a little bit slowly. Uh, this staff member has, you know, an additional condition of, of, uh, of Tourette's. So mm. please don't be offended if, if he, you know, he scoffs or he makes a noise that sure. is different. Don't, don't interpret that wrong. Mm. And so many people on the other side of that call are like, wow, thank you. You told me I never knew. And the end of that call is always, wow, you guys really know your stuff. Mm. So, Companies embracing that, and you know, if, if I have a conversation with anybody in technology and I say autism and QA, they go, okay, okay, I get it. That is something that didn't happen 10 years ago. And the world, you know, I, I like to say this, in, and some people will disagree, the world's nicer now. And more people are understanding and trying to understand the value to not just society, but to the individual and, and the satisfaction you get internally for working with people that... Um, you know, they're having a harder time. It's, it's pretty great. Yeah, I don't, for sure. I, again, it, it's one of the reasons why I really wanted to have this conversation. I, I, you know, I, I think legitimately purpose driven organizations are uh, far and few between. And when we had our initial conversation, I felt the, the genuineness of your passion and, um, and really wanted to have this chat. I, I do agree with you that the world is nicer. Um, I'm looking forward to a day where the world is nicer 
uh, organically and not necessarily by mandate, right? Like these programs that exist right now are, are necessary to overcome this like hurdle of change, but hopefully the change becomes uh, intrinsic and not, you know, artificial. Um, I don't know if that's the right term artificial, but you know what I mean? Like mandated um, because like, it's, it's really just making people realize that like everyone has value to bring to the table. It just may not be packaged identically. Well, I think there's so much more knowledge around it. You know, the terms used when I was a kid for someone that had special needs were mm -hmm. really, you know, they were lousy. They were mean and all those things. Mm -hmm. um, that was just what we knew. So were we wrong to, to, to know them and use them? Yeah, but now we know better. So, okay, fine. Where I think it's interesting and, you know, there's been some, there's so many movies, you know, Rain Man comes to mind, like, you know, sure. Rain Man, like, my God, he's brilliant. And we have, mm. you know, a couple of our staff members have that type of memory. You know, mm. they can memorize hundreds of lines of code and remember mm. it like a year later. And you're like, what? I don't remember yeah. where I was that year, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so there is that level of talent. Finding ways to unleash it is really, really, um, is really good for the world. And I think that that's where, um, sometimes mandating it um, forces people to open their eyes. And, and companies will say to us, and, and you know, we'll say publicly that although diversity and inclusion initiatives, where you know, um, intentionally being more diverse, whether it be ethnic or, mm. or you know, whatever gender or anything like that, the rewards are great. You know, you have to let it settle in a little bit, but the rewards mm. are there. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I agree with that. Um, just to kind of bring it back a little bit to, you know, the, the title of the podcast, Revenue Cafe. Um, it would be interesting to hear kind of some of your, your particular kind of uh, uh, acute challenges that you faced as you transitioned into, into this marketing sales role um, and what you've learned along the way. Like, how have you overcome them? What are things that maybe you're still struggling with and, and, and are trying to figure out? Yeah. Um, COVID threw a real wrench in, in, in the cog. We were growing at a phenomenal clip for a while. And the balance between my job bringing new clients to the table, some clients that shouldn't have been brought to the table, and the production team, which is, you know, I'm, I'm a sales team of one. And you know, we it's, we have a lot of people that are relying on making sure that that pipeline is there. You know, I, I view my job as, as as the simplest job in the world. We need money to make that payroll on Friday. If, mm -hmm. we can, if I can do that, then you know, I feel like I've done my job. The challenges recently have been finding the right people in a very crowded, you know, Zoom environment. Getting meetings last year was brutally hard because. I don't know how, how anyone else felt about this. I kind of felt like everybody had, uh, you know, their hands over their ears going, ah, I don't want to know anything new. You know, I know mm -hmm. it's better, faster and stronger. I just don't want to do it because mm -hmm. you know, change is so difficult in this, in this goofy environment. As we're coming out, I mean, our, my phone lit up in February, March, April. It really did. And that's really fun to see because, you know, uh, after last year of trying to, you know, banging your head against the wall of trying to figure out, like, how do I get to people? Why won't these people answer me? Um, seeing that open up and, you know, sort of 
you know, I had my one of my first in-person first meetings, mm. you know, second yeah. and third meetings have happened for a while, but first meeting for lunch. How awesome is that? Yeah. So um, the challenge is getting people out of that mindset of, of COVID and, we, you know, we don't want to do new things. We just want to kind of, you know, stay in focus. Um, that's been tough. And our messaging, you know, the person who helps me with messaging has been great on that. Um, I always wonder, is my foot in the door better service for a better price or is my foot in the door? Let me talk about diversity and inclusion first and then show you the value prop on the, on the service side. I haven't figured that out yet. Yeah, and it's probably not a clear-cut answer. It probably depends on what organization, what person in that organization, what do they truly value. Um, but realizing that those are the two kind of key angles, that's probably that probably puts you at an advantage already. Um, I definitely agree about the challenges related to COVID. It's you know it's always a challenge. People fear change. Uh, change is hard. And then I think you know during this COVID. Um, situation um i think people's brains kind of went haywire <laughs> it was just too much all at once to to kind of wrap your head around um but there is there is uh light at the end of the tunnel i de definitely in the u.s so i'm in canada uh canada is a little bit behind the curve of coming out of this uh you know covid era definitely in the u.s and in a lot of places it seems like business as usual um, and people are looking for ways to make up for lost time that was, you know, the previous 18 months. Um, and, and that's one of the things that we're trying to figure out at, at breadcrumbs is how, how do we capitalize on this, like pent up demand for products and services, uh, in general. And, uh, again, don't have the answer to that. We have lots of questions, not necessarily all the answers, but we're definitely working to figure that out. You know, I think one of the things that has been, I'm not going to say good because I'm, I'm, the jury's still out on, on the effects of COVID and, um, you know, we all see things and, you know, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm shaking my head going like, seriously, how, how is this better? This year hasn't been better for anything, you know? Mm. What I think it does serve, at least in, in Spirit Text, our, our tailwinds are, we have a few. What tailwind one is diversity, inclusion, corporate social responsibility are definitely bigger, bigger headlines. And that will continue. Companies are now saying we want to spend X on diverse suppliers or, you know, um, uh, more open to the idea. Second of all, outsourcing has become much more prevalent during COVID because, you know, um, everyone's at home anyways. So even, even with our clients that require, you know, used to require very specialized security on their projects, so we're, I'm, I'm in a building in Chicago. It's a very secure building. There's a doorman and there's key cards and all this mm. stuff. And some of our clients require a key card to actually get in the room that you, where the computer sits to do their work. Fine. Obviously, that all went out the door when we went home. So we've broken a few barriers down there. And then additionally, the sort of the, the barrier of outsourcing, because we all sort of got outsourced when you're at home. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. doing things on Zoom and emails and, and, and access – you know, so a lot of those barriers have, have broken down. I'm, I'm really pretty pumped about where I think our business is going. Our challenges, I think, you know, for the next few months, the challenge is finding the right clients and, and bringing them on board. I think our challenges later on are going to be how do we scale this business 
you know, I, I, I joke with our staff, like, I don't want to be 130 people. I want to be 1,030 because mm. the need is great. There's lots of people on our, on our hiring lists. Yeah. But I think scaling that, developing training programs that are more efficient um, and developing the support staff that is, you know, we have, we have a phenomenal support staff that really kind of keeps, um, you know, the wheels on the bus. Uh, but developing that in, in, at scale is, is where I think it's going to be tough for us. For sure. Well, listen, I think, I think the, the, I think the mission's amazing. I think the goal is, is awesome. And, uh, you know, from our previous conversation, just want to reiterate, uh, you have a supporter in, in me and in breadcrumbs, uh, any way we can, we can help. Um, on that note for our listeners, is there any kind of parting thought or, or, or call to action you want to leave with them? Sure. Um, Aspiratech. <laughs> Think about Aspiratech and other diverse suppliers in your in, in where you spend your money. Whether it's the the t-shirts you buy that you can buy from Spectrum Designs, this awesome autistic company in New York that makes great shirts and swag and brownies and such, to Aspiratech that can test your software. Why not spend your money wisely with companies that are doing good? Give a try. If it doesn't work, okay no harm in trying but if the world thinks about how they spend their money that is not only just the pure dollars per hour or you know, whatever the metric you're you're trying to uh some, sometimes you know what i well i'll tell clients is please give us a, a pilot project where you can really define and measure the success because I really want you to see that this works for you because this isn't just about like oh we sold this project and it's x dollars and we'll get through it mm-hmm. Figure out a way so that you can see our value. And if we can have someone understand that, uh, that's really helpful. So, you know, to I say to your audience, um, you know, I, um, I appreciate you hearing our story. Uh, I, I really love what I do. And diverse suppliers, all kinds of things you can get with diverse suppliers. Um, doing good with dollars you spend is, is really satisfying. Awesome, Brad. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's, what's the best way? Um, Brad C. So Brad Cohen, Brad C at Aspiritech, A-S-P-I-R-I-T-E-C-H dot org or not for profit. Awesome. Brad, thank you so much for your time and for sharing the interesting story that you shared with us. Um, I can't thank you enough and, and wish you, wish you the best of luck to our listeners. Thanks for uh, joining in on another episode of the Revenue Cafe. Stay tuned. Uh, more to come with uh, other interesting marketing, sales, and CS leaders, and interesting organizations. I appreciate you listening as always, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the full episode. Make sure you subscribe to social media links below. For more detailed info about what we do, take a look at breadcrumbs.io.